0: Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong.
1: Today's guest is John Davidson. Mr. Davidson is an entrepreneur and venture capitalist in the communications networking industry. John achieved his first successful IPO in 1983 as a founder of Ungerman Bass, Inc. and his first successful acquisition with Network Telesystems, Inc., He is active now as an angel investor in a number of software startup companies, currently serving as chairman of Easy Res Software, White Hat Security, Radio Time, and Kahala Code Factory. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, John Davidson.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: So you're an independent advisor for several high-tech startup companies.
2: I am, and that sounds like it might be a useful thing to do. It is part of the way I might describe myself at present.
1: Could you tell us a little bit more about what exactly you do?
2: I will. Um, When we talk about the independent companies that I'm helping as chairman, for example, or director or angel investor, those are companies that I got started with after my second company that you mentioned, Network Telesystems, was acquired. And before I got into a venture firm, which is now called Startup Capital Ventures, and which is formalizing that process of angel investing. So I have a a kind of a continuum of activities, which had a a startup that you mentioned called Ungerman Bass, and that was um, one in which I participated as a founder. Then a second company, the Network Telesystems, where I was the founding CEO. And then a means of helping a number of small companies as an angel investor and director. And now, using other people's money, thank you very much, We're able to uh, broaden that capability and formalize the process, the process of investing, the process of helping, um, uh, of performing director roles. And uh, so it it feels to me like that's kind of a career which has been blossoming uh, all along and extends the reach of the particular technical and entrepreneurial things that I can do.
0: It seems like an evolution, right? You start off as an entrepreneur. You end up being an entrepreneur, and then you say, well, oh, I'll be an investor and help other entrepreneurs, and to, now it's, I'll get other people's money and let them utilize my knowledge, my resources, and so on, and, and stay in this without having to have the necessarily entrepreneurial responsibilities.
2: All uh, well, the headaches. Um, I would agree, and, it, and it's uh, only in retrospect that I can actually describe a career that has that set of properties, because I wouldn't have planned it that way. I don't think anybody can really see how they're going to you know, evolve over a, a lifetime, and there's all sorts of choices you make along the way. I think I'm trying to make sense of the model now when I look back on it and say, okay, that's a good way to say that things were upward-oriented um, in each progressive step rather than just random. It may not actually be true, but it's a, it's a nice way for me to think about it.
1: So did you just kind of see what was needed from the people you knew and then these new companies evolved or were born from that.
2: Well, this is a tough one because uh, I think a guy like me, who has a technology background, and I went to the University of Hawaii to uh, to, to get a PhD in, in the computer science field, um, would like to ultimately aspire to be thought of as an inventor. And so, an inventor is always creating things and maybe um, uh, trying to realize uh, some good from their invention some of which could be thought of as company building, because that uh, comes out of a good idea. And so uh, in the early career, um, I did a lot of the inventing. In this secondary set of stages, what we do is we can see there are other people who are good at inventing, and they can be helped a little bit. Now, with a technical background, I'm really uh, nicely positioned to help small technical companies, because I can understand what they're talking about. And where I live uh, most of the time when I'm not here, in the uh, Silicon Valley, it's a very important thing to try and help those companies find their way. There's a lot of good technologists, but they've got to build businesses. And so the potential for understanding what they're talking about and then guiding them is something that uh, I think is a, a way of contributing. And uh, so the ideas aren't all mine anymore. They are somebody else's, but the, uh, the, the growth of the idea the tuning of the idea, and then the blossoming of a business are things that I can contribute to.
0: So what are the differences that you see between Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and Hawaii
2: entrepreneurs? Well, um, I do see some differences. I see some differences in the number of them. Okay, The valley is just crawling with people who have either been born there or come there as students, perhaps Stanford or Berkeley or Santa Clara or others, and uh, or, or who have moved there despite the enormous uh, costs of living in the valley. Um, in order to try and participate in this unbelievable um, thing that happens in the Valley. And the Valley is just equipped with all of the resources that are needed to try and uh, have people come into your company and and, uh, help it, either as advisors or as employees or uh, directors or uh, financial uh, sorts. So there the infrastructure is completely built out, maybe more than any place in the world. And here in Hawaii, it's a, it's a fledgling infrastructure. It uh, still has a share of bright people uh, who would like to build really neat companies. But the resources that can surround them aren't always uh, as plentiful and as deep as the resources that are in the valley.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. We're back with John Davidson, advisor for various venture capital firms, both in the United States and overseas. So John, you were telling us about the resources here in Hawaii not being enough to support the high-tech industry or the startups?
2: Well, I, I uh, wouldn't want to be quoted as seeing it exactly that way, but let's, let's imagine that we have a smaller community to begin with here. Um, what are the things that are necessary to actually have an industry? Um, such as is uh, available in the Silicon Valley. Um, th- it, it takes a combination of things. Um, normally, there would have to be smart entrepreneurs with good ideas that can produce some innovative thing that people would like to have. Uh, that can come from geniuses being born, but it's more likely to come from a good educational system. Now, you have a great educational system here in Hawaii, but the competitive systems on the mainland may have a leg up in terms of longevity in certain programs that they've had, uh, size of programs, ability and capacity to hold uh, students, ability to attract students, and that makes their universities perhaps a little, a little more robust. So the Stanford University, for example, has produced an awful lot of entrepreneurs, good, smart kids who know when they come to school that they ought to, they ought to be there in order to do what the valley wants them to do, Build companies. Okay, here in Hawaii, it hasn't been that as the the the, the principal driver of people who go to school here. Um, now the programs are evolving at the UH. I say I came here to go to a program, and it was a marvelous program, and I had tremendous opportunities because the the university, while being um, smaller than you know the collection of universities we just described is still in need of all the work that anybody's going to do at any other school, but they don't have all the students to do it, so there's opportunity there, really good opportunity. But the the main point we're trying to get to here is that, that there's a combination of things that are necessary for anybody to have this um, you know, Silicon Valley-style type of thing. So I mentioned education, and we go into detail, and we could come back and go into more if you'd like. We mentioned that there's got to be financial uh, contributions. There's got to be investors in town who would participate in the growth of uh, businesses, there's got to be some government assistance to the extent that the government can actually inspire people to invest. And there's been quite a bit of that that's been attempted here in Hawaii, and it's been very good. Um, But the government needs to be involved here because the venture capital community is not as large as on the mainland, and uh, the uh, character of venture capital here has got to be a little bit different, too. I think in, in the uh, general case, in the Valley, venture capitalists don't look to Hawaii for opportunity. And people here in Hawaii with wealth would, would be very happy to, to use their wealth, the better things here in Hawaii, but can't necessarily find all the good deals. And um, the way to try and inspire more local investment is through the government here. So we've mentioned multiple things, entrepreneurs, educational system the uh, government's participation, and then the uh, financial support of uh, wealthy individuals or other organizations like uh, venture capital firms, of which there are some and some uh, successful ones.
0: So how did you actually get started as an entrepreneur? What's your story?
2: Well, um, again, I'd love to say I I thought it out in advance. I I stumbled into it, I suspect. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to the University of Hawaii again, where I was uh, enrolled as a graduate student. I came from the mainland, um, came to a fledgling computer science program, which had some very good professors that had just been brought in to try and grow the program. And these professors were able to get some research grants in order to be able to do some pretty important things. Now, in the era that I attended that school, which was just too long ago to mention um, on the air, the um, use of computers was primarily for computing and the university here has a reputation for having contributed to the use of computers for communications. Completely different um, set of criteria and problems. And uh, a lot of the inventiveness that went into early networking came from uh, pioneering efforts that were done here at the university. So now we have a, uh, a, a brand new th- branch that starts out, we call it communications and networking and and you uh, have labeled me as such a person and I'm pleased to be thought of as that, even though my focus isn't always communications and networking these days. Um, that kind of thing has blossomed throughout the world to the point where we have two major things now that I would say also characterize my career. One is local area networking and everybody has a network in the building or in their home, and the other is the internet. And the university enabled me to get into both of those types of uh, things. And the two companies that I formed actually focused the first on the local area networking environment and then the second on the Internet environment. So now I'm trying to get to your uh, question, and you might be able to prompt me again to, to, to really stick to the point. But tremendous numbers of things that I attribute to the university as being the impetus for me doing a whole bunch of other things in my Career. And, you know, moving towards uh, entrepreneurship is really um, a little bit a question of opportunity. Because we were in a new field to start, the communications field, it was a wide open space. And we had to think up things to do. We couldn't just copy somebody. And the thinking up is what makes me think oh, maybe I'm an inventor. And wouldn't that be a good thing to be? And when you invent something, you'd like to be able to build it. And then you look around for, who who will help me build this? And pretty soon you realize, nobody. I will have to do this myself. And, in fact, the beginnings of certain of the companies um, are due to having an idea, wanting to to pursue it, and then uh, realizing that it would take uh, a new organization in which to do that.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. We're back with John Davidson, advisor for various venture capital firms, both in the United States and overseas. So John, you were telling us about thinking as an inventor and where you first got your start as an entrepreneur, starting your first business. Mm-hmm. What pushed you?
2: Well, um, I actually thought when we, uh, in the months before of starting Hungerman Bass, I thought I had a really good idea. And so then I wanted to uh, realize this idea. Now, at the time, I was working for a firm in Massachusetts, where it was getting cold, by the way. And the uh, idea was for a communications capability that that firm had realized in the wide area networking sense. And my thought was, how about the local area network? It's really kind of a strange story because... I could sit in my office in a company called Bolt, and Newman, BBN, that was the creator of the ARPA network, which was the forerunner of the Internet, and from that room I could connect to any computer that was on the network, including computers in Hawaii and in California, etc., and in Europe. The uh, computers I couldn't connect to were in our own basement. I would have to call down to the people there and have them change my terminal at the time, just a a, a dumb terminal, plug it into a different place in the patch panel so I'd be connected to a different computer. And I thought, my gosh, why don't we replicate within this building the capabilities that we created for networks across the world? And that idea um, blossomed very quickly and under my own thinking to the point where I actually took it to the company and said, how about if we build this as a product? Well, they were not a product company. So they dealt with product companies, one of them which was called Prime Computer in those days, and I took the story to Prime and I said, you guys are building networks for connection of computers in a local environment. Why don't you use the communications technology to do what we did with the ARPA network? And they said, "Mm, no, we don't do that. So I got a couple of those kinds of dead ends and pretty soon proposed to a friend of mine who had been a student here at the university with me – the notion that we would uh, have a great product idea if we would just make a communications network for the local environment and have it do what the ARPANET did. And uh, he, he and I and another guy founded that first company to do that. It was uh, about a th- three-month process to move from the East Coast to the West Coast where Ungerman Bass was uh, founded and then about a four- or five-month process to actually disengage from all the work we were doing with other people and re-engage in the context of a new company and then go seek venture capital for the idea.
1: So you had this idea, you took it to several different people, and finally you found somebody that would say, oh, actually you didn't find somebody that said they would do it, right? So now that you're an advisor for, you know, the UH Business Pace competition, as well as some of these other companies that you help in Silicon Valley. What kind of advice do you give people who have this idea, want to invent, and then want to take it to the next level? So tips of starting a business.
2: Wow. Okay. There are all sorts of things involved in starting a business, and they would tell you, generally speaking, you need at least the team, the technology, and the traction, meaning you need some good people to help you people who uh, investors might believe in, for example, who cover multiple disciplines. The technology is your good idea and your ability to build it and then defend it against attack or competition. And then the traction is some proof that there's a market, some proof that there are customers who are going to pick up on this product and run with it. And it may be the case that you have to help an entrepreneur who has an idea develop those other uh, pieces. Um, Much of the time, we do meet people with good ideas. And in my small... A collection of uh, contacts. I know some people who are good at stuff, um, but I don't consider that I'm there to help grow the team. Uh, I'm there to help them refine their idea and figure out if there's a business associated with it. And there are many sessions in which we sit around and talk about, okay, you've got an idea. How do you describe that idea? And you find that the, the, even the members of the team don't have the same description. So you try to, try to hone it and say, what, what is your business? How does it contrast with somebody else's business? Um, and the thing that's missing from all of the inventors is, how are you going to make money? The famous phrase is, what's your business model? When you say that to an entrepreneur, he doesn't even know what you're talking about. I mean, to a technical uh, person, he, he wouldn't know, well, what do you mean business model? No. How are you going to make money? Who's going to pay you? On what basis uh, will you uh, achieve a business success? How long will it be? Now, there's another element to the question and another element to my answer that I uh, want to dwell on just for a sec. Uh, There are people who are top-down and there are people who are bottom-up. Top-down people might provide money to try and grow a capability, grow a business capability. And uh, venture capitalists are often thought of as that. They, will, they know how to build a big company. They know how to deploy a whole bunch of resources. And then the bottom-up guys are the ones who can take their idea and kind of hack it together and demonstrate something and then build a little bit more and then attract some interest from some other friends, and then pretty soon they've got a business going. In my particular companies, the first one was kind of a top-down company. I mean, we had a good idea, and we were building the company, but we took venture capital money, we grew a big company, took it public, and uh, it was, quote, successful in that realm. The second one was all bootstrapped. All my friends and I trying to figure out how can we make some money on the basis of things we know and things that we could build to try and get the nucleus of a business. And then many times during the life of that business, because we didn't have a big flywheel of money and people and helpers and employees, um, we came up against difficulties. And in the second business, in particular, Microsoft was one of the difficulties. And they would step on companies, sometimes by accident. And uh, you have to overcome that. And it's a really a a difficult and, uh, uh, well, difficult is enough of a word, but a a labor-filled process.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio.
0: Hawaiian time. Neptune nice,
1: sunshine in your mouth. For bubble tea supplies Happy in your friends. home at a party nice or business, like contact Bubble Tea end. Supply at 948 2622 or online at bubble tea.com.
0: Neptune, the sunshine in your mouth.
1: We're back with John Davidson, advisor for various venture capital firms, both in the United States and
2: overseas. So, what is this Entrepreneurs Foundation all about? Well, the Entrepreneurs Foundation is something which began on the mainland um, as an attempt by uh, venture capitalists, it turned out, to um, help the community somehow. And, in fact, to encourage their uh, portfolio companies to uh, adopt a spirit of helpfulness. The uh, idea behind the organization is that when you're a small company, you could be uh, active to a limited degree in helping the community. And as you get to be a bigger company, if you've built that in as a part of the thought process of the company, then you're likely to continue it on. And in the early going, an entrepreneur's foundation, of which there are several in Silicon Valley and Portland and Dallas and Boston, et cetera, et cetera, an entrepreneur's foundation can help by suggesting simple things that could be done within the community and maybe multiple small companies could help in the doing of them. And they could be simple things like beach pickups or uh, who knows what, but uh, can, can suggest those types of things to try and build a little camaraderie, a little team within the company and, and, and a company spirit towards the community. As the company grows the potential is there for them to become successful. What you'd like to do then is have them help the community somewhat. Here in Hawaii, there have been over the years large companies, the banks, etc., who have done some helping. Now some of those are getting acquired by mainland firms and so the the, the transition is being made and we have to rely more upon other upcoming companies to be uh, contributors to the community. In the the, the way that the entrepreneurs foundation works is to try and ask the companies to participate in the program doing some helping and to give some of their pre ipo stock to the foundation that gift then comes back to help the company later on if it becomes valuable by returning a portion of the of the proceeds back to the company for their use as a charitable foundation. There's many IRS codes to be uh, dealt with here, but the notion is that if the company will give a little bit of their equity now, they'll get a nice tax break in the future, the money will be returned to them, and then they'll have an answer when people come say, could you help us? They'll have an answer, yes, we have a foundation, we have a fund, we have some money, we can help you. And so they'll benefit in all sorts of ways, and uh, the Entrepreneur's Foundation benefits a little bit too because in order to continue its work, they get a portion of that uh, gain if there are uh, liquidity events. Do you have a success story that you know of, how this has actually worked in real life? Well, there are several, and there are stories that come from each one of those organizations across the uh, United States. And the way we would measure here is uh, different because we've just begun our processes. Measurements that come from other organizations include you know, numbers of, companies like 20 companies that have returned hundreds of thousands of dollars to the entrepreneurs' foundations of those uh, places. And then there are um, several which have produced maybe uh, millions of dollars for the companies themselves who are then able to contribute within the community. There are some things that are ongoing here in Hawaii now which probably should be talked about and will be talked about, but I think I'll refrain from uh, mentioning right now the ones that are likely to have good successes now well, we are building up a, a nice portfolio of companies in probably about 10 companies so far in about a year's time so there's been a great deal of interest in the Entrepreneurs Foundation of Hawaii so hoku scientific though would
0: be considered a success story for hawaii wouldn't it
2: well i i, I yes i was i was becoming a little bit uh, Protective there of the information. Why don't we consider that it is a successful story? Because they have gone public. They did contribute in the early days to the Entrepreneurs Foundation. Their contribution now is being held by the Entrepreneurs Foundation for a period of time in order to protect early transactions. The same thing that the company has to do. They can't just divest themselves of uh, of uh, ownership. All the employees can't in a a certain period of time. So there's a lockup period during which this is going on, and. The price of the stock changes during that lockup period, and it has been going up favorably, so we would say this is one of the good success stories. So thank you for mentioning it, and I'm, I'm now uh, more comfortable in, in uh, discussing it.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.